That's Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 19. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were travelling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias, come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles, and kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your spirit and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptised, and taking food, he was strengthened. Father, your word says, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. And Father, we ask for a visitation this morning of your Holy Spirit to point blind eyes to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask it for his namesake. We ask it for his glory and praise in the world and in this place in particular. Here as we pray for his namesake. Amen. If he were alive today they would label him a sex addict. Augustine of Hippo said this, As I grew to manhood, I was inflamed with desire for a surfeit of hell's pleasures. My family made no effort to save me from my fall by marriage. Their only concern was that I should learn how to make a good speech 
and how to persuade others by my words. My father cared only that I should have a fertile tongue. And so in search of that fertile tongue, Augustine left for Carthage at age 17 for training in rhetoric and speech. He found that fertile tongue that his family longed for him to have. He became top of his school, but he found more in Carthage than a mere fertile tongue. He said this, I went to Carthage where I found myself in the midst of a hissing cauldron of lust. My real need was for you, my God, who are the food of the soul. I was not aware of this hunger. But to cut a very long story short, he did become aware eventually that his hunger was in fact for God. And I want to read to you the moment of his conversion to Jesus Christ. He said, There was a small garden attached to the house where we lodged. I now found myself driven by the tumult in my chest to take refuge in this garden where no one could interrupt that fierce struggle in which I was my own contestant. I was beside myself with madness that would bring me sanity. I was dying a death that would bring me life. I was frantic, overcome by a violent anger with myself for not accepting your will and entering into your covenant. I tore my hair and hammered my forehead with my fists. I locked my fingers and hugged my knees. And then later he says, I flung myself down beneath a fig tree and gave way to the tears which now streamed from my eyes. In my misery, I kept crying, How long shall I go on saying, tomorrow, tomorrow, why not now? Why not make an end of my ugly sins at this moment? All at once, I heard the sing-song voice of a child in a nearby house. Whether it was the voice of a boy or a girl, I cannot say. But again and again, it repeated the refrain, take it and read. Take it and read. At this, I looked up thinking hard whether there was any kind of game in which children used to chant words like these, but I could not remember ever hearing them before. I stemmed my flood of tears and stood up, telling myself that this could only be a divine command to open my book of Scripture and read the first passage on which my eyes should fall. So I hurried and seized the book of Paul's epistles and opened it. And in silence, I read the first passage on which my eyes fell, quote, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in lust and sexual immorality, not in quarrels and rivalries. Rather, arm yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Spend no more time on nature and nature's appetites. I had no wish to read more and no need to do so for and in an instant. As I came to the end of the sentence, it was as though the light of confidence flooded into my heart and all the darkness of doubt was dispelled. That was the Damascus Road experience of Augustine. But this morning... We are going to consider the original Damascus Road experience. The Damascus Road experience of the one who wrote the words that Augustine read as he was experiencing his. It is the conversion of Saul 
of Tarsus, whom we know today as Paul the Apostle. The point of our passage this morning is this. Jesus determines the destinies of men. Could anything in the world right now, in your mind, be greater, more worthy of our attention this morning on this Sunday, on this Lord's Day, then Jesus determines the destinies of men. Does it get much bigger than that? Now, our passage opens with the words in verse 1, but Saul. And those words really press the resume button on the drama that was unfolding back at the beginning of chapter 8. You remember Saul had approved of Stephen's martyrdom. And then chapter 8 verses 2 and 3 say this, Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And so with those opening words in chapter 9, but Saul, the story of Saul continues and nothing less than his entire life, his destiny and his eternity would be forever and permanently changed in a moment. And it's my hope and prayer that your life and your eternity And your destiny here today would forever be changed permanently and forever. That as Saul's Damascus Road experience is unfolded to you, you would have your own Damascus Road experience. Because whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not, whether you accept it or not, an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ is by a mile and a half the greatest need in your life. It is not reducing your carbon footprint. It is not getting in your 10,000 steps a day. It is not mental health or well-being. It is not good GCSE or A-level results. It is not meeting Mr. Right. It is not beating cancer. It is a life-changing encounter with the one who made you and with the one who knows you and with the one who came from heaven for all who will believe in him. Now, before you Christians zone out and say to yourselves, yeah, Hugh, I've already had that. Thank you very much. The reality is you and I know people who have not yet had that. And as we hear of what it was like for Saul of Tarsus to have his destiny forever and permanently changed, my hope and prayer is that we will be that much more desirous, that much more earnest in our prayers for our loved one, our loved ones, for our children, for our family members, for our colleagues to experience the same thing. Today, right now in this moment, deep down, you do believe, don't you, that they're a lost cause, that there's nothing that could ever change in their lives. But friends, look at chapter 9, verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem, like an animal hunting prey, a cruel wolf, a wild boar, a ferocious beast, as Calvin put it. But all of that was about to change. Why? Because Jesus determines the destinies of men. 
Well, number one, I want us to see Saul encounters Jesus. Look with me at verse 3. It says, Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Saul of Tarsus arrived at the destination that he had intended to reach only in a dramatically different way than he had expected. He had approached Damascus as the one leading the company of men accompanying him, but he entered Damascus with those men leading him. He approached Damascus to arrest men and women, but he entered Damascus as one who himself had been arrested. He approached Damascus to decimate, to demolish, and to destroy those preaching a crucified Messiah, but he arrived as one whose pride had been decimated, destroyed, and demolished. He approached Damascus as a conqueror, but he entered Damascus as the conquered. What could possibly have accounted for so radical, for so fundamental an alteration and change in this man's life? Well, nothing less than a life-changing encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Picture it now in your mind's eye. There he is on his horse, riding toward Damascus. But then, altogether unexpectedly, a light flashes from heaven. And for a second, his eyes could see the divine messenger. 1 Corinthians 9 chapter, uh, verse 1 makes that clear. But the intensity of the light which outshone even the brilliance of the noonday sun fried his eyeballs in their sockets. And his cornea was seared. His lens was disabled and even his horse was so startled that it threw Saul off his back such that he found himself on the ground unable to stand and then the heavenly figure spoke and his voice sounded like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder a voice that penetrated not only his eardrums but divided joints and marrow soul and spirit, and sliced open the arteries and the veins of pride, such that his arrogance just bled to death right there on the ground. And the voice of the one who spoke lifted the veil and exposed what had really been going on all this time in Saul's life. That he hadn't been persecuting a sect or a cult, Or an offshoot from Judaism. No, no, no. Saul had been persecuting the Messiah whom God had consecrated and sent into the world. The Son of Man. The Son of God. The Son of David. The Lord Jesus Christ himself. Such that now with blinded eyes, Saul was seeing with 20-20 vision. 
And here's what this means for every unbeliever in this room. Embrace the wounds of your friend, the Lord Jesus Christ. Proverbs 26 verse 7 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse or excessive or wasteful are the kisses of an enemy. When Saul encountered Jesus, Jesus had an indictment to make. Jesus had a case to bring. Why are you persecuting me? His sin was worse, more serious, more damning than he ever could have began to imagine. He didn't appear to Saul and say, Saul, this has all been a great big misunderstanding. Come on, Saul. Let's be best friends. Just pray this prayer after, Saul, do you know you're a sinner? Do you want to go to heaven, Saul? Just repeat these words after me. No, no, no. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? But Jesus wounded Saul to heal. Jesus condemned Saul so that Saul would never have to be condemned. This is what happens when a person is really converted. Do you know, the truth is, friends, as if you need me to tell you this, we are living today in 2022 in a culture that prefers the tolerance of falsehood to the hard truths of reality. The highest virtue in the West today is tolerance, not truth. But when our culture says tolerance, they don't mean tolerance as it's defined by the dictionary, where we lovingly bear with the people that we disagree with. Tolerance means we affirm. Anything that a person thinks, feels, decides, or acts to do. But friends, that is the kiss of an enemy, which in turn is the kiss of death. Jesus will wound you in order to heal you. Jesus will condemn you in order that you may never be condemned. Because Jesus loves you enough to tell you the truth. If you were sat at a restaurant in Hoylake one weekend and someone marched into the restaurant and started shaking you and shouting at you, you would assume that person was either a maniac or angry at you or both. But if you were fast asleep one night and your house was on fire and a neighbor burst through your front door, ran up your stairs and started shaking and shouting at you, you would consider that person a friend and a hero. If you were walking down Hoylake High Street and somebody came right up into your face and said, you're sick, you would be offended. But if your doctor sat you down and with great concern looked at you in the eye and said, you are sick, then you would appreciate your doctor's honesty. And friend, one of the ways that you can know for certain whether Jesus is doing a real work in your life is whether he is wounding you and troubling you and making life hard for you. You remember when that guy Christian began to sense that burden of sin that was pressing his shoulders down and hunching his back right over? Everyone told him that he was mad, but he had heard the voice of the one called truth. And Bunyan writes this, in 
this plight, he, Christian, went home and refrained himself as long as he could that his wife and children should not perceive his distress. But he could not be silent long because his trouble increased. When at length he broke his mind to his wife and children, he thus began to talk to them, Oh, my dear wife and you, the children of my bowels, are you, I, your dear friend, am in myself undone by reason of a burden that lies hard upon me. Moreover, I am for certain informed that this our city will be burned with fire from heaven in which fearful overthrow by both myself with thee, my wife and you, my sweet babes, shall miserably come to ruin except some way of escape can be found whereby we may be delivered. At this, his family was sore amazed, not because they believed that what he had said to them was true, but because they thought that some frenzied distemper had gone, got into his head. Therefore, it drawing towards night, and they hoping that sleep might settle his brains, with all haste, they got him to bed. But the night was as troublesome to him as the day, where instead of sleeping, he spent it in sighs and tears. So when the morning was come, they asked how he did. He told them worse and worse. He also set to talking to them again, but they began to be hardened. And so to those of you here who are starting to become aware that all is not right with you, friend, you must silence the voice of all 8 billion people in the world today who would say, there's nothing wrong with you. You're enough. You're fine. The only thing wrong with you is that you think that there's something wrong with you. Those are the kisses of the enemy. Listen instead to the voice of the friend who calls you by your first name, who looks at you in your eye and says, why are you resisting me? Why are you suppressing me? Why are you denying me? Why are you turning from me? Why are you hardening your heart against me? Because that is the voice of the one who will break you to build you, who will wound you to heal you, who will condemn you to justify you. But there's something here for you believers as well. Because, you know, Jesus will wound his people again when they become so dull and lifeless spiritually. Do you know, the reality is, sadly, we are a typical church. We are a typical church in that we are a church made up of thirds. Some of you are pounding every muscle. You are straining every nerve to run the race that is marked out, set before you, looking to Jesus. Praise the Lord. Others of you are not where you want to be, not where you would like to be, but you are following Jesus every day and you are seeking to grow. Praise the Lord. But there are others of you who are so carnal, who are so far from Jesus that there are no number of sermons that I could ever preach in a lifetime that would do any good for you. And the name of the only preacher who will wake you out of your carnal sleep is called suffering. Only his sermons will do. Only his ministry will wake you. When the doctor sits you down and says, it's cancer and there is nothing we can do, you have a few months. When your spouse leaves you, when your spouse dies in your arms, 
then you will turn to Jesus. And then you will realize that for the last few decades, you have been so far from him because you can no longer see him. And then you will seek him and find him when you seek him with all of your heart. But second, Ananias encounters Saul. Look at verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call in your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. You really do have to wonder, don't you? Who is more shocked? Saul of Tarsus upon encountering Jesus or Ananias upon encountering Jesus? Upon hearing the words that Saul was no longer praying with an E, but was now praying with an A, as Warren Wiersbe put it, Lord, you want me to go where and meet with who? To the one who has permission to do in Damascus what he's done in Jerusalem to people like me who believe in you. But then Ananias encountered Saul of Tarsus, first of all, in dialogue with Jesus and in this vision with Jesus. Before he encountered him physically, he encountered spiritually a radically changed man via Jesus' words of promise. Ananias, I know how it sounds, but go. For I have determined this man's destiny. I will transform him, Ananias, from being a persecutor of me to being a preacher of me. I will transform him from being a hater of the way to being a herald of the way. From one who rages against me to one who rescues men and women for me. And I will make this man's name as well known in hell as it is in heaven and his feet will no longer be swift to shed blood but they will be swift to bring good news to the poor even though his feet will be bloodied on the path that I've marked out for him and then Ananias encountered Saul in person and never in his wildest dreams did he think he would meet Saul of Tarsus for any other reason other than for his Ananias's arrest but there he was as docile as a lamb as gentle as a dove, a proud man humbled. 
and brought to his senses. Such that even without having to think about it, Ananias could live up to his name, which means the Lord is gracious, and approach Saul and say, Brother Saul. Brother Saul. You're my brother. And something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. And the world was never the same again. Why? Because Jesus determines the destinies of men. That's why. Friends, this right here is the real Jesus. And this right here is real conversion. The one who not only knows the destinies of men, but determines them. The one who's not waiting for people to give him a chance. Not not the Jesus who's waiting for people to give him a free 30-day trial. But the Jesus who determines the destinies and the course of men and women. Do you know, whenever Paul, Saul or Paul, spoke of his conversion, he never spoke of him making a decision for Jesus. He never spoke of him committing his life to Christ or praying a prayer asking Jesus to come into his heart. No, he spoke of it like this, Galatians 1.16. It pleased God to reveal his son to me. That's how it happened. See, Jesus' grace is sovereign grace. Jesus' grace is the kind of grace that is in charge. The kind of grace that is in control. Some of you might know the story of Francis Thompson's life. His, his life was really one dead-end street joined up to another dead-end street, as somebody once said. He studied for the priesthood, but that didn't work out. So he started studying medicine, but that didn't work out either. So he joined the army, and he was sent home after a day. And he eventually found himself as an opium, a heroin addict on the streets of London. But in the end, having been saved... He wrote a famous poem called The Hound of Heaven. And it's all about the sovereign grace of Jesus. And it goes like this. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind and in the midst of tears. I hid from him and under running laughter up vistaed hopes I spared and shot precipitated down titanic glooms of chasm fears from those strong feet that followed, followed after. You know, this sovereign grace doesn't mean that we become robots and puppets on a sovereign string. Instead, what it means is that our wills are transformed to want to love and want to desire and want to obey and live For Christ, Saul was a a new creation with new loves and with new appetites and with new desires. He wasn't being forced against his will. Instead, his will had been raised from the dead. His will had been transformed so that now he wanted Christ. And would even go on to say, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And would go on to say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
And for him to say when he considered this path that Jesus had marked out for him, I don't consider my life of any value or being precious to myself if only that I might finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to do what? To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's the end goal of my life, Paul said. Friend, please don't think that if you become a Christian, you'll no longer be you. You'll be more like you than you've ever been before. Like Hoylake in the sun, it's still the same town, but it is marvelously improved and beautified. But not only is Jesus' grace sovereign grace, Jesus' grace is amazing grace. That is, yeah, it's even for you. Do you remember what Paul said? Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying Timothy is trustworthy and it's deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Did you hear that? Jesus made an, an example of me so that not a single man, not a single woman would be able to say, not me. Because if Saul, then you. As though Saul were the one up here behind this lectern now saying, yes, you two who have hated your mum and dad for dragging you here to this place and who have despised my word for year after year. Yes, you husband, who have committed adultery and your wife has no idea. Yes, you wife who have been unfaithful to your husband and who has no idea. Yes, you employee who have stolen from your employer and you are terrified of being found out. Yes, you, because Jesus' grace is amazing grace. And lastly, Jesus' grace is transforming grace. Once you have it, you will never be the same. Remember what Paul would write to believers with faces that looked a little bit like ours, with personalities that looked and sounded a little bit like ours. He said, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, so then, Sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, 
heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So if you haven't already, friend, receive Jesus' um, sovereign, amazing, and transforming grace today by turning to him in repentance and faith and receiving this gospel that makes all things new and transforms the destiny of even the hardest sinner. And I ask you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Should we stand and sing?